0: Good morning, morning. Calvary Bible Church family, and those who are joining us in this time of virtual worship this morning. I've titled my message today, Contrasting Invitations from Wisdom and Folly, based on Proverbs chapter nine. There's a long, age-long competition between wisdom and folly, righteousness and sin, vice and virtue, one provides profound happiness, and one provides profound misery. Life, as we know it today, is comprised of many contrasts. In, fact, in the Hebrew word, Hebrew word folly means foolish. And I'm sure hardly anyone wants to be called, referred to, or even described as foolish. Yet it's our actions that really determine what we really are, because as we know, actions speak much louder than mere words. I can't remember how many times I felt like just kicking myself because of my own foolish actions at times. The timeless truths of Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 is applicable for all people of all ages, regardless of gender or age. And they provide solid guidance for the unprecedented times we are currently living in. As such, chapter 9 of Proverbs makes a clarion call for the need to listen to and exercise wisdom vigorously. I'm reading today from the New Living Translation of the Bible. We know it as the NLT. And so we begin at verse one. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines and set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. As an overview, we see in Proverbs chapter 9, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, Personified heavenly wisdom as a lady of godly righteousness, in verse 1. Earthly wisdom as an ungodly, disgraceful woman. See that in verse 13. The inexperienced or naive are invited by both into their houses, as we see in verses 4 and 16. Meals are offered to both. An exposed meal to the godly, by the godly woman, we see in verse 5 a secret meal by the ungodly woman, stating how much better illicit behavior is, verse 17. True wisdom is found by anyone who enters the godly woman's house, verse six. Devastation and eternal separation from God is found by anyone who enters the ungodly woman's house, verse 18. But Proverbs 9 also sheds some light on how principled living really opens the way to God. It opens the way to God by giving us a principle to live by. To find real meaning and satisfaction in life now and for eternity requires a must have relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Proverbs nine shows us that applying this basic principle is determined by whose invitation is accepted, wisdom or follies. So as we take a closer look at the two contrasting invitations offered and how they shape the principles we live by, we will see first of all, wisdom's invitation, verses one through six, secondly. What difference does it make? Verses seven to 12. And thirdly, Folly's invitation, verses 13 to 18. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful today that you've given us the privilege today, once again, to express the vast greatness of your wisdom that you have imparted to mankind. We thank you, Father, that this wisdom is a part of all that you have given us for life and godliness. And so we pray, O God, today that we would take heed and apply ourselves and govern ourselves accordingly. We pray, O God, that you would indeed conceal thy servant behind the cross so that he would decrease and Christ would increase and that you would be glorified and honored. Bless those under the sound of your word near and far today. For Jesus' sake, and in his precious name we pray, amen. First, wisdom's invitation. Wisdom, verse one, has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines, and set the table. The chapter opens with the key verse of the chapter. Wisdom has built her house. We know that any expenditure, of time and labor is required when building anything of worthwhile for habitation. When building her nest for her unborn young, the eagle spends much time focused on time and labor in her work in order that her young ones will have a a safe place to live and to grow without prey taking advantage of them. And so whether it's a palace, a mansion, or a cottage, when building a house for human habitation, focus, much focus, time, care, and thought, and labor, must be put into the building process. I remember when my house was being built, I would usually visit the construction site uh, to see what was going on, to see how my dream for home ownership was taking shape. And one day I went to the site and I had to make a double take because I noticed that there was a block wall where an exterior door was supposed to be. And there was an exterior door where a window was supposed to be. Imagine my shock. I, pulled, I called the contractor who was on the site at the time and I said, let's look at the drawings. Let's look at the blueprints. And he got the blueprints out of his truck and we spread them out and I said, look at that. Does that look like that? Or look at that, does that look like that? He quickly acknowledged the mistake that his laborers were making and they corrected that mistake. The same attention to details is required in for mental building. When thoughts are put together and fashioned into a book, It involves the expenditure of mental labor and many hours of days, months, and sometimes years before the completion of the work. This is a rule that is unchanged by God in shaping the works of creation for the benefit of his creatures. The house that God has built for humanity's habitation didn't just appear or show up all of a sudden in its present form. After all, God didn't create the universe, the heavens, and the earth in a single day. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. What is true of creation is also true of salvation and wisdom for living, wise living. And so we see wisdom here pictured as a woman in verse 1, building her house by carving out seven columns or pillars, your Bible might say. What are these columns or pillars? Why seven? Why not six or eight or ten? One explanation may be found in the epistle of James. James. James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom from God, the wisdom from above, is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So, according to James, wisdom is from above and is described in seven ways. First, pure. Second, peaceable. Thirdly, gentle. Fourth, willing to yield. Fifth, full of mercy and fruit of good deeds. Sixth, no favoritism. And seven, always sincere, that is, without hypocrisy. We note that in the scriptures, seven is a number of completion or perfection. No wonder wisdom chose seven columns, which means that the house that wisdom has built is perfect in every conceivable way. It is complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. But then these pillars also clearly distinguish the wonderful character of wisdom from above and its consistency with God's holiness. But we see something else. We see the attraction of the invitation in verse two. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines and set the table. She prepares a great party, as you were, for those who will accept her invitation. She mixed the wines and set the table, lavishly and richly, lacking nothing. And a banquet, you know, Is particularly suitable as a picture of three things. Delight, companionship, and contentment. Whenever you go to a party, those are the things that you look for. Those are the things that you experience. Those are the things that you delight in. Those are the things that people look forward to when attending a party. And all of these are provided by wisdom for her guest without restraints or reservations. Having made her immaculate preparations, everything is in order, nothing lacking. She extends an invitation to those who she would like to welcome. Verse 3, she has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. So here we see this majestic host extending, this majestic hostess as it were, extending or sending our servants to issue an invitation. The invitation to those from the heights overlooking the city, those from prominent and significant places. a commission to our servants is also really a timely reminder for all of us today who have come to know and experience God's wisdom through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We too are challenged to share this wisdom with others by inviting them to come, discover, and enjoy it for themselves. Are we doing that? Are we inviting people to come, discover, and enjoy the wisdom that we are so privileged to have? And who doesn't like or appreciate getting an invitation? Recipients of invitations usually feel highly favored and privileged for even being considered to receive an invitation. They feel special because they know that because they have received an invitation, somebody else didn't get one. Someone else was ignored or someone else was denied because you got an invitation. But notice, notice how there's no room for speculation about how special wisdom's invitation really is. Verse four through six. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind you and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Wisdom spells it out quite clearly, doesn't she? She makes it clear who the invitation is intended for. The text says the simple. Who are the simple? The text says they are those who lack good judgment. People who are inclined to go astray by being so easily impressed that they need some kind of direction to guide them. We've all been there, haven't we? There have been some times in our own lives when we exercised good judgment and, and was regretful because of it. The wise are already in the house because they have exercised good judgment. They are already in wisdom's house enjoying a menu of nice foods and fine wine. Wine mixed personally by wisdom herself. You see, wisdom is hands-on. Wisdom is not standoffish. Wisdom doesn't stand on the sidelines and give instructions. Wisdom gets into the trenches and says, Come along with me. Let me take take my hand and come with me. Wisdom is personally involved. For the simple who accept the invitation, there are three expectations wisdom has, according to verse six. First, leave your simple ways behind you. Leave your bad manners outside the door. Secondly, begin to live. Don't just exist. Enjoy the full and abundant life that God has made available. And thirdly, learn to use good judgment. That means getting rid of the foolish friendships and show that a life of moral change has really taken place in you. The question is, is this your current experience today? There's an interesting parallel of the banquet described in this chapter of Proverbs and the banquet described in his parable recorded in Luke chapter 14. We don't have the time to go into it, but there is a parallel. And we have heard the expression many times, uh, if we have heard it once, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so any number of persons have intentions of going to the banquet, but they never make it. Why? Because they let people and other activities that appear more important at the time sidetrack them. So here is the practical application to live by with regards to verses one through six. In your search for wisdom, don't let anyone or anything become more important. I repeat, in your search for God's wisdom, don't let anyone or anything become more important. But we also notice that between the two banquet descriptions, we see the benefits and predicaments of accepting these contrasting, contrasting invitations, which prompts not the stated, but the implied question of our second point. What difference does it make? Verse 7 through 9. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers, they will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you, instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser, teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. So we see that these verses show why wisdom's invitation is generally for the simple and not the mocker. The ordinary person will listen and probably accept it, but the mocker, not so. Because they think that they know it all, because they think they are already wise, because they think they have arrived, they will ignore it. They will reject it. But in addition to these verses, these verses also answers the question of what happens to anyone who tries to reprimand a mocker or correct the wicked. Three statements provide the answers. First, verse 7a, you get an insult. In other words, you get a verbal abuse. Second, verse 7b, says you will get hurt. That's physical abuse. They'll probably hurt you physically. And then thirdly, verse 8a suggests that we shouldn't even Think about it because they will only hate you. That's mental abuse. So we see the attacks and the abuse that comes when we try to correct those who are going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, or headed in the wrong direction. By contrast, we also see three statements about admonishing a wise person. First, verse 8b, correct wise and they will love you." We see emotional acceptance. Secondly, verse 9a, instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. That's educational or intellectual acceptance. And then verse 9b, teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Educational acceptance. But Notice the twofold point that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, makes here is anyone who wants to be wise must first do a self-examination of how their heart responds to wise criticism or correction. We see that when we get to verse 12. And secondly, being wise with others requires having the discernment to be deservant of the actions of other people. Again, verse nine, instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. The text makes it very clear that wise or righteous persons are not content with their achievement of being wise. They're not even content as being viewed as perfect in their morality a wise person takes it to heart and becomes still wiser instead of being resentful because of criticism. A wise person benefits by accepting criticism to increase their stock or their inventory of learning so that they will be better rather than worse. The question is, what is your reaction when you're corrected by a parent, a teacher, an employer, or a friend? Does your response label you as a person of wisdom or a foolish person? That's important when we look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Here we are reminded once again that the basis for all true, genuine, real wisdom is fear of the Lord, a reverence for God. And because a true believer, a genuine believer, knows the Holy One personally, God ensures that he can see more on his knees than anyone else can see on their tiptoes. So what are you? A wise person or a mocker? Your reaction when criticized can tell you. Rather than answering with a fast put down or a smart comeback when reprimanded, we should carefully listen to what is being said. Why? Because the path to wisdom is learning from your critics. Insight for living comes from God who created life. So wisdom starts by knowing God, having a personal relationship with God. Just knowing the facts about God is not good enough. A personal relationship with him is a must. So here is the application principle to live by that we glean from verses seven to 10. Get to know God better and better through his word and take him seriously. If you really want to be wise. Now there's more to wisdom than actually meets the eye. As we see in verse 11, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Many people have tried it. Some are probably trying it right now as we speak. But they have failed because you can't buy years and add them to your lifespan. As much as people would like it to be so, as much as people are trying to do so, it it just doesn't happen. But by accepting wisdom's invitation, you avoid dying an untimely Death from foolishness. I've known many persons personally whose lives have been ruined by foolishness, who have had an untimely death because of foolishness. Here we see the perpetual benefit of wisdom. Having it, the Bible says, will multiply your days and increase your years. Not only does it provide for long life now, But also for living a good life now, a productive life now, but even beyond that, for a life that goes on endlessly, forever and ever. The Bible calls that eternal life. Question is, are you benefiting from this wisdom today, right now? Verse 12 If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. You see, according to the text, it is to our own best advantage to be wise. You benefit yourself more than anyone else when you're wise. On the other hand, if you choose to scorn wisdom, you will suffer the penalty of making such a choice and possibly drag others along with you to their detriment. This brings us to the other invitation being offered for another party going on, a party that is intended to distract people from getting wisdom. Thirdly, Folly's invitation. The woman named Folly is brash. She's ignorant and doesn't know it. Those who are distracted and choose to reject the feast offered by wisdom are prime candidates, or you might say they're prime victims, for another party. And this party is prepared by the devil himself. And the host that he has chosen is named Folly. It's his choice. It's his party. He can choose whoever he wishes to host his party, and he has chosen folly. But notice the obvious contrast between wisdom's richly exquisite offer in verses one through six, and the cheap offer offered by folly in verses 13 to 18. Notice how the woman named folly is described. The Bible says she is brash, What does it mean, brash? She's cheeky. She's forward. She lacks self-respect. The Bible also says she's ignorant and doesn't know it. In other words, she's loudmouthed, brassy, brazen-faced, dumb, but empty-headed. In other words, she's clueless. But in spite of being clueless, look at what she does. Verse 14, She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. Notice, she's sitting outside of her doorway. When you go through a doorway, you expect either good or bad. Most of the times, you expect good. A doorway overlooking eye-catching heights, overlooking the city. Not as a gracious lady, but as a shameless prostitute she actually is. This is one door that you really don't want to go through. There's nothing good on the other side. There's another door that you can go through that has a whole lot of goodness on the other side. And when he described the way to experience eternal and abundant life in John chapter 10, verses 7 to 11, Jesus also used the metaphor of a door. He said, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. And then further on in that verse he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Two doors, two different experiences. One good, one bad. The woman folly's sole purpose is to seduce men, or anyone for that matter, who are easily led astray. The text described them as simple fellows who lack good judgment. In other words, people who don't have no sense. Verse 17, listen to what she says. How enticing, her words. Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. Her meal may be sweet and it may be tasty, but it's certainly not healthy. It's certainly not nutritious. It's certainly not good for you. It's good for nothing because it's junk food. Junk spiritual food. But not only that, in essence, what she means is that extramarital sexual relations is captivating because it is prohibited and the secrecy about it is so intriguing. In other words, the forbidden is most desired. When fallen human nature is prohibited, From doing certain things, the prohibition stirs up the curiosity and desire to do it all the more. This is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. He says, Well, then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. And verse 8, but sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. And so here we see the woman folly. This prostitute appeals to the same immoral instinct in man that Paul talks about. By inviting him, this naive individual in, for just a little visit, just a little tryst. You see, wickedness has a spellbinding and intoxicating effect about it. One sin lead to more sins. Why? Because the Christian life doesn't appear to be as exciting as sinful behavior. This is the reason why every thought of the sumptuous banquet prepared by wisdom in verses 1 through 5 is ignored by many who instead eat stolen food offered by folly. Here's the application principle to live by then that we glean from verses 14 to 17. Always remember how dangerous sin is and don't be led astray by it. Take a long, hard look at what happens to those who eat forbidden fruit before you reach out for it yourself. You will certainly regret it in the long term. Verse 18, last verse. But little do they know that the dead are there, her guests are in the depths of the grave. Here we see the other side of the story that folly doesn't reveal. It is concealed. She's given you the good without the bad. Notice four words, the dead are there. How much more do you need to understand what the consequences is of rejecting wisdom's fine invitation? In other words, this is one party that you definitely won't come home from. It's an eternal death trap. It's a portal to the domain of the damned. Pursuing that brief time of passion and pleasure not only results in a lifetime of regret, but an eternity in a most undesirable place. The depths of the grave. So in review, we have seen Proverbs 9, in Proverbs 9, Solomon personified wisdom. He personified, in verse 1, heavenly wisdom as a lady of godly righteousness. In verse 13, earthly wisdom as an ungodly, disgraceful woman. In verses 4 and 16, the inexperienced or the naive invited by both into their houses. In verse 5, meals are offered to both. An exposed meal by the godly woman. And in verse 17, a secret meal by the ungodly woman stating how much better illicit behavior really is. In verse 6, true wisdom is found by whoever enters the godly woman's house. Verse 18, devastating and eternal separation from God is found by anyone who enters the ungodly woman's house. And we see how Proverbs 9 sheds light on the way to God by living by a principle that to find real meaning and satisfaction in life now and eternity requires a must-have, an absolutely must-have relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Applying this principle is determined by whose invitation you accept. Wisdom or follies? So in conclusion, when offered contrasting invitations from wisdom and folly, the question is, who will we be the guest of? It's through blindness and thoughtlessness that people are entangled in the trap that is presented by folly. You see, we are naturally starving creatures who can't, find happiness within ourselves. We need to look somewhere else. As everyone must have food to satisfy the natural cravings of hunger, so it is with every single soul on planet Earth. They must have some gratification for the desire of happiness. Both wisdom and folly extends a leash like a dog leash for all. None excluded. The question is again, who will we be the guest of? While folly offers enticing and much desired immediate gratification, wisdom offers long term beneficial satisfaction. Wisdom calls us to God and life, folly calls us to sin and eternal judgment. So as we reflect and respond to what God has said to us today, the final question we have confronting us is, why is it so easy to select the wrong door when searching for the right way to real happiness, satisfaction, and expectancy of eternal life? Your choice, your decision. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have spoken today. Many have heard you, but we wonder how many have really listened. We trust that all have and will take heed to what you are offering, what you are providing. We'll choose a full and abundant life a life that is satisfying, one that will not lead to eternal regret and damnation. And so, Lord, we pray today for all who have heard your word, continue to speak, continue to nudge, continue to appeal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.